Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is great to be with you. Happy Monday morning. It is July 5th, 2021. Okay, where to begin? Well, I guess we could start with the fact that uh, it is a long weekend for most of us. Uh, 4th of July was yesterday. So most of us have today off. Uh, I guess some of you may have had Friday off, depending on how it works for your um, place of employment. But for me, it is Monday off. So here we are, long weekend. Like I said, great to have you with us. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it's it's almost a little strange going into a holiday weekend like that. After going through the pandemic for, what, over 18 months now uh, or longer? I don't even know. I can't even keep track of it anymore. Um, but just having been through that and how so many things uh, were uprooted, changed, things that we were just every single year, we did the same way, right? Things like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Fourth of July, uh, what you do in the summer, you know, the the trips you take, the vacations you you plan. Since all of that stuff was kind of flipped over on its head, um, I think we kind of almost forgot how to celebrate. Or maybe we're just in that frame of mind now where it's like, oh my goodness, I wonder if it's okay to celebrate. Yeah, you know, are we able to are we able to congregate? Uh, do we have to stand six feet apart? Is everyone going to be wearing masks? Um, you know, I, I think it's just that weirdness of coming out of that and trying to figure out how do we live now? Um, so that's kind of the weirdness of this weekend. Uh, for us, it was pretty laid back. We didn't, we didn't have a lot of plans. Um, there aren't a lot of family, uh, in the area that we would spend time with, um, uh, the family members that we typically spend time with. Uh, around holidays are actually traveling themselves. And so we weren't able to connect with them. However, our entire family is back together again. So that was great. Our daughter, who uh, is out on the East Coast doing school, uh, flew back in on Friday. So we were able to spend some good quality family time getting reacquainted as a family, uh, if you will. And then we did get to spend a few um, hours with friends, uh, some close friends and you know, do the more traditional uh, 4th of July thing with food and fireworks and all that. So like I said, pretty laid back, but um, had a great time. So how about you? Uh, Hopefully you had a restful 4th of July weekend. Hopefully you were able to do some of those traditional things, spend the time with family, friends, barbecuing, doing all of those things so that, um, you know, it, it kind of felt more normal. Uh, than it than it was last year. So that's it. Uh, let's move into our minute of transparency. Uh, this time, I'm just going to call it endless cycles. So I don't know about you, but can you just look back on your life and and see things going in cycles? Can you look back and see how, yeah, my parents' parents did this, then they did that, 
And now I'm doing that. And someday my kids will do that. Um, there's so many things that go in cycles. And just one of off the top of my head, you know, cycles like the kind of music you listen to, right? So my parents, I'm sure, listened to music that their parents couldn't stand. Then when I was their age, I was listening to music that my parents couldn't stand. And nowadays, I listen to my kids' music, and there's just something about it that is different to me, right? It's not that I can't stand it. It's just the music I've listened to most of my life is now different. Like there's this whole different vibe that the music has that my kids listen to. Some of it's great. Some of it not so great. Um, but it's one of those endless cycles I'm talking about. Um, interesting things to look back on as you kind of think through how things go in waves, if you will. So another one, and this is the one really that I wanted to talk about, is just this whole concept of you know coming of age when it comes to driving and purchasing your first car, things like that. And so, you know, this might be a little bit different based on your gender. Um, I know a lot of girls aren't that interested in having that first car and and really being picky about what kind it is and and all of those things. But you know, for boys, more traditionally. Um, a lot of times that's a thing. So when I look back, you know, I'm sure that my, my grandpa had, had a first vehicle that he was really stoked about having. And then I'm sure my dad did as well. Um, and then for me, um, I'm kind of an anomaly because it's not like I had this crazy idea of the, this vehicle that I had to have the minute I could start driving. Um, you know, I turned 16, I got my license and, for quite a few years, I just drove the family car. I, I didn't really purchase my own vehicle, uh, and I don't know why. I mean, maybe maybe it was just one of those things where I knew how much they cost. I knew that I didn't have the money to buy what I really wanted to have, so I just used the parents' vehicles uh, for quite a few years. It wasn't until you know college, I think somewhere early in college, uh, that I really started to get excited about that sort of thing. And it wasn't about cars. It was actually motorcycles. And so I remember some friends of mine um, that I hung out with on a regular basis and we went on trips together and we, you know, we played tennis and, and beach volleyball, all these things together. I remember it just kind of came out of the blue at one point and one of the group was like, man, I really want one of those sport bikes. I really want one of those crotch rockets. Um, and we were all like, yeah, yeah, those are so cool. That'd be really fun. Uh, and the next thing, you know, one of the, one of the group had one and then pretty soon someone else in the group got one. And before you know it, we realized that everyone was getting bikes. And so that just became my thing. Like I have to get a motorcycle. And so I, I still remember my first motorcycle I bought off of a friend from, from college and I think I gave him some money, but I also gave him uh, like a, a stereo receiver and some speakers, uh, things like that. Like I gave him, it was almost like a trade. Um, here, you you have this stuff and I, I want this, I want your bike. Uh, and it was an old uh, Honda VFR 750, pretty beat up. Uh, but that was my first bike or my first vehicle, really. Uh, and I remember, you know, learning on it, learning how to drive it, going and getting my motorcycle license, and um, it was great. 
And then after that came another bike. I bought a, a Honda CBR 600, had that for a little while. And then at some point I upgraded to a Honda CBR 900 RR, which was a, a super fun bike, super fast. Uh, but yeah, I, I still remember those years driving the bikes and just really enjoying the fact that I I bought it, I paid for it with my own money, um, you know, working on it, fixing it up, doing all those little things. So, and that obviously came up recently with my son. So my son turned 16, he started driving, driving our vehicles, um, but he much more quickly, and I think it's because he had friends who were a little bit older and they had their own cars that they were really um, excited about. So very quickly, he has now gotten into cars. And I love that it's not, oh, I, I need a Ferrari, I need a Lamborghini, I need a, you know, even like a, a BMW or a Mercedes. No, he's interested in M- Mazda Miatas and not just like a, a recent version of the Mazda Miata, but an older classic original version of the Mazda Miata. So we're talking 1990s, um, you know, when that first original Miata came out. Uh, the difference according to him, is that the older ones have the pop-up headlights, right? The newer ones have integrated headlights, uh, and the old ones have these pop-up headlights that are really cool. So he's excited. He's excited about this vehicle, and how do we find one, and let's go look at them. And um, So it's been a thing, right? It's been that cycle I was talking about, and, and it's been a lot of fun. It's fun watching him look for vehicles. It's fun. I mean, I even jump on and look, you know, look every once in a while for them just to see if something new has come on the market that we can go check out. Um, but, but those are the cycles I'm talking about. So what about you? Like when you look at your life, when you look at your kids or when you look back at your parents, what are, what are some cycles that you see happening, uh, throughout your family? Um, it's just an interesting thing to look at. So that's the minute of transparency. That's what was on my mind this morning. Um, Does not have a lot to do with our topic for today, which is transcending negativity. Uh, Although, you know, I guess I could get really negative as you you go out and look at these vehicles. You know, these are obviously older vehicles. Some of them are 30 years old. So you look at these vehicles and, you know, there's a lot of stuff wrong with them. And so it's, it's trying to find that one that, yes, it has things wrong with it, but it's got a good solid foundation that you can build on um, something that you can work with and, and do some modifications to and, and work on the engine and, and just turn it into a fun project. Um, so I think, you know, I guess that's the tie in, right? Is that I could be super negative about these cars looking at them because there's so many little things that need work, or I could choose to look at it the other way and be more positive and optimistic about it. Um, that it's a fun project and it's like, and it's something that he will have that's his own and he'll get to work on it. Um, and that's great. So we'll call that the tie-in. Um, again, today's topic, transcending negativity. Uh, and in this episode, we're going to talk about three things. First is reading the glass. Second, the roots of negativity. And finally, positively joyful. Number one, reading the glass. So we've talked about this before, right? The whole water in the glass illustration. Typically you're offered two options, right? The glass is half full, the glass is half empty. 
But from one of our previous discussions, uh, if you go all the way back to episode 37, uh, which was called Transcending Our Worldview, uh, we actually talked about there being four. And, and that's not that there's only four. I mean, it's just four that I found super interesting, but there are even, you know, maybe more ways to look at the world. So we talked about the optimist uh, who views the glass as half full. The pessimist is the glass is half empty. And then there's the realist that says there is water in the glass. And if you let it sit for too long, it's going to evaporate. Uh, and then finally, the idealist. So the idealist would say, hey, you know, if we added some flavored powder, we would get Kool-Aid. How great would that be? Uh, so in this episode, we're going to focus on two of those four because we're talking about negativity here, right? We're talking about negative thinking. So out of the four we listed, the four or the two that really wind up being <laughs> negative or, or having a tendency toward negativity are the pessimist and the realist. So the pessimist, obviously, right, they tend to take the negative approach on everything, every situation. So even if there's a chance of it being positive, if there's a chance that it could turn out positive, um, you know, they, they just can't imagine that it would turn out that way. So they typically always look for the bad and expect that it's going to happen. Next, the realist is also less interested in whether or not something is positive or negative. And instead, they just call out what they know to be true or real. So according to the Urban Dictionary, uh, realists have a firm grip on reality and can see things for what they are, not for what they are told they are. Realists have their own worldviews and do not fall victim, typically, to propaganda, misconception, or titles. However, in seeing things as they are, you often see that there is the potential for bad or dangerous or negative things to happen. And this is okay. The realist simply views things as they are and calls them out because they're reality. So let me, let me try to illustrate both just to like flesh it out a bit more. So the pessimist. One of the best illustrations of the pessimist is the Saturday Night Live sketch uh, called Debbie Downer, right? For those of you who've seen it before, it's a very simple sketch, uh, and, and it involves this girl named Debbie, and typically her family or a group of friends or coworkers or whatever. And throughout the sketch, Debbie takes the pessimistic view on nearly everything. I mean, you know, somebody will say something positive or something joyful, and she seems to find that one kernel of negativity in the positive thing. Nothing she says is uplifting, just one negative thing after another, until at some point the entire group literally wants to shoot themselves, right? They're, they're so depressed because of the way that she's jumping in and making everything negative. It's a good example of a pessimist. Number two, the realist. So in this case, I'm really going to have to just use myself as an illustration. I'm sure there's other illustrations out there, but you know, this is a funny thing between my wife and I because we have this argument all the time. She would fancy herself an optimist. And every time we get into this conversation, she usually is explaining that I'm a pessimist, to which I always reply, no, I am a realist. Because that's really how I feel most of the time, right? I'm not looking for the negative. I'm not looking for the, the one kernel of negativity in anything or everything. I simply see things for what they are. And yes, there are often negative outcomes to the things that we do in life. 
So let me illustrate, right? You're driving on a wet road and it has just started raining. It isn't raining hard, so visibility is still pretty good. Now, the optimist would say, nothing bad will happen here. It's just a little rain. A pessimist would probably say, this is exactly when accidents happen. I'm not going to go out until it stops raining. The realist would say, research shows that roads are most slippery in the first 10 to 15 minutes of a rain event. Therefore, you might want to slow down a bit and use caution. And watch out for those who are not being cautious because they can cause some serious issues for you, even if you are driving safely. Notice the difference? The pessimist is negative just because it's their nature. The realist is negative about the first 10 to 15 minutes of driving in the rain because they see it as a potential problem or there is the potential for a hazard to exist. Okay, let's get back on topic. That was a little bit down a rabbit hole, but that's what we're talking about here, right? We're not here to determine who's a pessimist and who's a realist and who's an optimist. The truth is that both pessimists and realists have this tendency toward negativity, right? Either as a personality trait or simply because they're viewing the world around them and calling out negative things once in a while. So either way here, I'm speaking to myself as I tend to fall into one of these two categories at least. So number two, the roots of negativity. So now that we've discussed all of the different options and we're focusing just on negativity in general, where on earth does this negativity come from? Are we born with it? Do we learn to be negative? Uh, do we have, you know, do we become negative after a few too many bad things happen to us? Is it like reactionary? Well, apparently there are multiple theories, but uh, here are just three um, that I'm going to talk through from some of the research that I did. So Kendra Cherry uh, wrote an article called What is Negativity Bias? And it basically suggests that we are all born with this thing called negativity bias. And just like it sounds, our bodies are biased toward the negative. We are quicker to notice negative things. Our brains work harder to make sense of negative events and situations. So overall, we tend to focus more energy on negative things, more so than positive. Next, John Brandon uh, wrote an article called Science Says There Is a Simple Reason You Keep Thinking Negative Thoughts All Day. Uh, and according to John, uh, he suggests that it's nothing more than a brain chemistry thing, that we all have this chemical in our brain called cortisol. And it's a chemical that's related to our hormones and our stress levels. And basically, it's a chemical alarm system. So cortisol is responsible for producing negative thoughts, in essence, warning us of impending danger. And apparently, our brain loves cortisol almost as much, if not more, than it loves dopamine, which we all know as the feel-good drug, right? Dopamine is the chemical that's released into your system uh, after sex, using drugs, using alcohol, any you know, even sugar, like anything positive, dopamine gets dumped into your brain and you feel good. But apparently, cortisol can have as much, if not more, of an impact on your brain than dopamine, which is pretty crazy. And finally, Brie Maloney um, wrote an article called The Damaging Effects of Negativity. Um, and by the way, I, I mean, I'm just kind of rattling these people off and their articles, but if, if you really want to read the full articles, just uh, go to the website, 
find this episode. It's episode 69, Transcending Negativity. Uh, and all of these are referenced in at the bottom in the reference section. So Brie Maloney, article is The Damaging Effects of Negativity. And Brie suggests that negativity often comes from being depressed or insecure. That it's really related to one or one of those two things. And it can become a learned bad habit. After giving in to these thoughts too many times, the brain is said to actually create a neural pathway that encourages sadness, that these thoughts eventually distort the truth and make it even harder to break out of the cycle of negativity. So who has it right? Which of these people should we believe? Well, I would suggest we believe all of them. What if negativity bias is baked into our psyche? And what if cortisol is acting on our brains in those situations? And what if after dealing with this for an extended period of time, we enter periods of depression and insecurity, which then leads to a neural pathway of sadness? See how that works? Each of these could be focused on a separate piece of the puzzle, speaking to the part of the issue that they find the most interesting. But let's dig a bit deeper and see what this negativity thing looks like in real life. So Brie Maloney goes on to offer this list of the ways that negativity manifests itself. So there's 10 things, and we're going to run through these real quick, um, just as a high-level explanation of what negativity looks like and how it actually manifests itself in your life. Number one, cynicism. Cynicism is a general distrust of people and their motives. Number two, hostility. A general unfriendliness toward other people or an unwillingness to develop relationships. Number three, filtering. So filtering occurs when you only notice the bad in what should be a normally happy experience or memory. Number four, polarized thinking. This is the belief that if something or someone is not perfect, then they must be the exact opposite. They must be horrible or terrible. Number five, jumping to conclusions. So assuming that something bad will happen just because of the circumstances in the present. Number six, catastrophizing. So this is the belief that disaster is inevitable, right? When we take small things and blow them out of proportion. Number seven, blaming. Blaming others or blaming the world for things that are happening to us and feeling like we are victims to whatever is going on around us. Number eight, emotional reasoning. This one's super dangerous. Allowing your emotions to define what is real and what is not. This is huge, and we've talked about this many times before, because the only two things in our personality that we can control are our thinking and our behaving. We cannot directly control our emotions or our feelings. But when we control how we think about something and how we behave in response to something, we ultimately indirectly are able to control how we feel, our emotions and our feelings. Number nine, fallacy of change. So it's the thought that if people or circumstances change, then we'll be happy. So have you ever seen this played out before? How about in marriage? One spouse trying to change the other so that they will be happy. Just doesn't work. And finally, number 10, heaven's reward fallacy. So this is the type of negativity that assumes there will always be a reward for hard work and sacrifice. 
And then when that reward does not come, you feel negative, bitter, depressed, etc. This one's rough. I mean, this is this is personal for me because I fell hook, line, and sinker for this in the past. And I won't go into it now, but maybe uh, at some point uh, I'll tell you that story. But definitely a bad one that can lead to very negative, negative outlook on life, negative outlook on people, uh, and just your entire life situation in general. Now, I love this uh, list, not because it's all-inclusive, it's not the end-all, be-all list, but I love the fact that she has taken this concept of negativity and really fleshed it out and made it real by giving those 10 examples. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that as we read through those 10 examples, that you heard a few that you fall into, right? I know for me, I can easily look through the 10 um, and see a few that I fall into all the time. Um, You know, ways that we are negative about the world, about ourselves, our circumstances, those around us. Um, For me, like I said, um, you know, heaven's reward fallacy is one that I've fallen for. But even the fallacy of change, the one that Brie explained as the thinking that if people or circumstances change, you can then be happy. That one, I mean, I really want to flesh this out a bit more because these two concepts come up when we start talking about the fallacy of change. And these two concepts are comfort and happiness, because I believe that these two things can literally be at the heart of our negativity. Doesn't sound right, I know, but hear me out. I would suggest that comfort and happiness are two ideals that we might strive to attain, but that we will never attain. We will never reach full or 100% comfort or happiness just as a perfectionist never fully reaches perfection, right? That's the problem. We work so hard to live the life of comfort, but never quite achieve it. We work so hard to find happiness, but then something always gets in the way. And that's when negativity typically sets in, right? When we aren't successful in achieving true comfort or happiness, we often become negative or angry, or irritable, or frustrated because we came so close, but we just can't reach that plateau that we can see off in the distance. And yet we believe it's possible, right? And social media is the main culprit that tells us it's possible, right? We watch our friends, our acquaintances, our family members, and they post about their comfort and their happiness and their success. And we come to believe that it's possible, only it really isn't. We're not really getting the full picture. Now, I know that sounds grim at best, but for those of you that have been here since the beginning, you know this isn't the end of the story, right? This isn't me being Debbie Downer. It's me being the realist, telling you the truth about how we process the human condition. And if comfort or happiness is what's driving us, then we're headed down the wrong road. If you're a little unsure or just more curious as to what I'm talking about, Uh, feel free to go back and listen to some of the uh, previous episodes where we talked about these conversations. So episode four was called The Great Happiness Debate. Uh, Episode eight was called The Safety and Security Trap. Uh, Episode 30 uh, was Transcending Earthly Desires. And then more recently, episode 51, uh, we had a conversation about transcending comfort. So spoiler alert, 
Um, in those episodes, we came to the following conclusions. Instead of making happiness the goal, learn to find joy and contentment in what you have. Realize that comfort can actually equal stagnation. And that if you really want to continue to mature and grow and learn, you have to step out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself in difficult situations. Happiness and comfort should not be our driving motivation. As a Christian, heaven should be our motivation, right? Heaven is the place where happiness and comfort are baked in, not here on earth. If we can just start to view the human condition through that filter, we will be far less disturbed and far less negative. So let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with experiencing happiness and comfort from time to time in life. It is part of the human condition as well. But just don't make it the end goal of your life here on earth. And we'll have a fighting chance at fighting negativity throughout our lives. Number three, positively joyful. That sounds great, right? What must it feel like to be positively joyful? Well, just break it down and look at the two words by themselves. Positively, being positive versus being negative. And joyful, right? The whole idea that you can find joy in life regardless of what your circumstances are, even if they aren't happiness-producing circumstances. So let's get practical. What does this mean in real life? Are we supposed to be Pollyanna? Those kind of people, right? Smiles on our faces even though our clothes are on fire? No, definitely not. If anything, this is the dark side of optimism. This is the dark side of being an optimist. When an optimistic person is overly or too optimistic, they've lost touch with reality, right? They have blinders on to the fact that there is bad in the world, there is evil in the world, and there are things to look out for. Have you ever been around a person like that? I have. Somebody who is painfully optimistic. I mean, <laughs> you can just tell that this person is in a world all their own, right? And if they, if they were forced to say one negative thing, or if they accidentally said something negative, that they would literally go up in flames. These people are out there, and it's difficult to be around sometimes. I don't know about you, but I'm not inspired around them. I almost feel sad that they can't admit when something bad happens or that something potentially could go wrong. But they have to try and find the silver lining every single time. And I just want to say, stop. Just be okay with the fact that it was bad or that it was wrong, right? There's obviously a balancing act here, right? Uh, we should not be Pollyanna. And yet, if we go too far the other way, we run the risk of allowing negativity to drive us as we discussed earlier. And that's not good either, right? Um, Brie had another list uh, in her article. And this list talked about the side effects associated with negativity. This list, it included, you know, things like headache, chest pain, fatigue, upset stomach, sleep problems, anxiety, depression, social withdrawal, drastic changes in metabolism, right? Overeating or undereating. So what then? right? How can we live a more balanced life and not give in to this tendency to be negative? Well, in her article, Brie offered five things that we should um, look at first, right? These are five things that can help us move in the right direction. First, she says, learn to recognize what is real. So see both the good and the bad in the world, right? The more you become a realist, 
or a realistic optimist, according to her, the more you will be able to focus your energy on being positive. So what I take away from that is that being optimistic and being a realist at the same time is really the goal. It's really what we're trying to work toward. Number two, she says, live in the moment. So focus on the task at hand and avoid thinking of past mistakes or future fears. If a negative thought enters your head, respond with at least three positive ones immediately. Positive thinkers can take control of their mind and are aware of the thoughts that enter into their head. Now, we also need to plan, right? We also need to set goals and think about our future, but choosing the right thing in the moment is key. Number three, be positive, right? If being positive is a habit, then you need to practice optimism every day. Participate in activities that cultivate happy thoughts, like hobbies, spending time with loved ones, and meditation, if that works for you. Uh, engage in uplifting media and conversation. Uh, on some level, I know, I know this is a little frou-frou or woo-woo or however you want to say it. Uh, on some level, this is like t- telling an alcoholic to just stop being an alcoholic. But I get it, right? Negative people need to see the positive in situations if possible and focus more on those in order to form a different habit. Number four, she says, turn your negativity into action. So experiencing negative emotions and thoughts is inevitable, but positive thinkers know how to turn those negative situations into action. For example, a positive thinker may look at the mirror and say, huh, I've gained a bit of weight over the holiday season. And instead of dwelling on the negativity, Um, this person uses it as motivation to live a healthier lifestyle. Um, Another way to look at it is this, right? So at work, one of our core values, at my work, I mean, at the job I work at, one of our core values is this rule that you can't put down an idea if you don't have one of your own. Or another way to say it, you can't complain about something that you don't have a solution to offer for. And that's really what I'm talking about on this one, right? We, we need to turn our negativity into solutions, into things that we can do to help fix the negative things that we see. And finally, number five, spend time with uplifting people. So negativity is contagious, right? We can catch it just by being around other people. So we don't want that. We don't want to catch the pessimist bug from somebody else. Instead, we spend time with people who we care about and you know, people who leave us feeling enlightened and content, right? Humans are social creatures. And if we develop a healthy network of family and friends, that can help us to to start viewing the glass as half full. So it's definitely important to be around people who don't drag you down, right? Not that they're going to change you into a card-carrying optimist, but at least they aren't going to push you farther down toward negativity and pessimism. And finally, Kendra Cherry, uh, who we talked about at the beginning of the the show, uh, her article was called Negativity Bias. Uh, She also had a few suggestions. First, stop negative self-talk. Two, reframe the situation. Three, establish new patterns. And four, savor positive moments. Now, her first two suggestions are straight out of the cognitive behavioral therapy playbook. I mean, Understanding that our thinking can keep us stuck in bad habits, 
uh, in this case, thinking negatively. Um, and so the recommendation that she throws out there is to actively think about our thinking, right? See how often we go negative and choose to think differently. Choose to reframe it or to see situations in a different way. Then her last two recommendations are more behavioral in nature. So actively doing things to be more positive, adding things like exercise to your life or changing the music you listen to, uh, watching more uplifting television, reading books that are more positive in nature. And then finally, savoring the moments that are positive. So seeing positivity in moments when they come up and locking those into your brain and remembering them. Choosing to mark those moments as good memories so that you can look back on them versus all of the negative things that want to compete for that time. And finally, if your negativity looks more like complaining, um, I listened to a great podcast episode the other day. Uh, it was called You Can Do Hard Things uh, by Jenny Allen, who's uh, the founder of the If Gathering. Uh, and I'll put the link in the show notes so you can check that out if, you're, out if you're interested as well. But in that episode, she spends a lot of time talking about how easy it is to fall into a life of complaining. Um, you know, complaining about the negative things that happen to you, complaining about life's difficulties and things like that. Uh, and then she throws out ways to keep from being that way. So an interesting episode. If you're interested in that, check that out. But let's land the plane. Uh, this week, I want to ask you to think about the following things. First, what type do you resonate with, right? Are you an optimist, a pessimist, a realist, an idealist? Are you able to immediately see that in yourself? And if so, how does this impact your life in terms of negativity? Like, does it, does it mean you're a negative person or does it mean you have a tendency to be more negative? And then what can you do this week in order to be more positive than negative? Number two, have you ever thought about where your negativity comes from? Could it be uh, a focus on comfort and happiness? Like that that's your main goal in life and that's where some of your negativity comes from? Uh, if so, this week work to be more joyful and then try something that will actually move you out of your comfort zone and help you grow. And finally, how can you be positively joyful this week? Uh, pick a few of the things that we talked about, try to put them into practice, uh, and see if it doesn't take a chunk out of your negativity this week. So that's it. Uh, that's where we'll wrap things up for today. Thanks again for being with us. It is so much fun to hang out with you Monday mornings. Um, have a great week. Uh, stay positive and keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.